Hi, this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me as we continue in our study of the book of Hebrews. We are in Hebrews chapter 5, and in the last podcast, I spent some time talking to you about the phrase in Hebrews 5, 8, that Jesus learned obedience. If you didn't get a chance to hear that podcast, I hope you'll go back and listen to that. The entire podcast, which is probably one of the longer ones I've done, it goes about 15 minutes. That that podcast really talks about the big picture of what, what did that phrase mean and what did it mean in the life of Jesus and what does it mean for us that we learn obedience. For Jesus, he learned obedience through his suffering. I concluded that by giving you sort of a, a, a word picture of, of the meaning of of a primary word used in the New Testament for obedience. It, it denotes hearing something and then coming under it. And that's what obedience means. So when you think about that, the text tells us in Hebrews 5 that through this process, the process for Jesus, specifically in the context of Hebrews 5 because it relates to priestly ministry of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and in, in his the terrible mistreatment he received at the hands of the Romans of of the abuse and the suffering that he experienced, that through that, the Bible tells us, Jesus was made complete. He was made perfect. The, The fulfillment, that word denotes a fulfillment of everything the Father's will was for him as he went through this process. Jesus was never lacking in anything. He was not lacking in the sense of something was missing due to sin. Instead, for Jesus to learn obedience meant that it denoted this completion sense in his life. It denoted the process of life through which Jesus walked by faith. In the Gospel of John, there are numerous passages where Jesus Jesus talks about sort of how he how he learned obedience, how he learned how to hear what his father is saying, to see what his father's doing. Listen to some of these. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, As I hear, I judge. Well, what's he hearing? He's hearing his father. And he says, My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. In John 8, 28, when Jesus, really you can think of him thinking of his education, When he says this, as my father taught me, I speak these things. Later in in verse 38 of chapter 8, Jesus said, I speak what I have seen with my father. And in 1250, whatever I speak, just as the father has told me, so I speak. All of this points to the fact that Jesus became, as the writer of Hebrews puts it in in this part of chapter 5, Jesus became the author, the cause of eternal salvation who will obey him. Uh, Again, when you go back and you you look at that connection there at at verse 9, and having been perfected, that is, having things completed, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. There you've got that word again. The first use of obey in the previous verse, he learned obedience. It's, it's a noun form. Here, it's a verbal participle form that of, uh, of, of learning that we discover what it is to obey Jesus and to come under the authority of what he said. Now, in Hebrews 5.10, we begin to shift towards 
this specific discussion of what it means that Jesus is the high priest and quoting Psalm 110, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a really important phrase. The importance of it is going to get further developed actually in Hebrews chapter 7. The comment in Hebrews 5.11 about Melchizedek's, it introduces us to a sort of a shift in the way that this writer who Cockerill uh, uh, calls the pastor, a shift in the way the pastor is approaching his congregation. When you read beginning at, particularly at, at 11, down through the first part of chapter 6, the tone changes dramatically. Up to here, other than some of the sort of negative comments that were made about Israel and the wilderness wandering and their unbelief, there's, there's this really uplifting, uh, very encouraging tone that's going on in the book of Hebrews. But when you get to 5.11, the tone changes. And uh, the, uh, the comment is made about, uh, about Melchizedek uh, within the context of, as, as Cockrell calls it, within the context of shame and warning that's a part of, of this passage that we're looking at. He first tells us, the writer tells us, that there's much to say about Melchizedek. And in six specific references in Hebrews 7, he's going to do that. Then secondly, he tells them up front that this reference to Melchizedek is hard to explain. And finally, third, he tells them the reason why it's hard to explain it's not because the material's difficult. It's because they have become dull of hearing. This phrase, dull of hearing, slow of hearing, lazy is one way to think of it. This phrase reflects more than a congregation that's not listening or uh, today a congregation that's distracted by their smartphones. Actually, it's an echo back to Israel in the wilderness wanderings and their failure to obey the Lord and trust in his provision. It really goes back to these episodes that you read in, in Exodus, which get further developed in parts of Numbers and in Deuteronomy, where Israel complained for water. They complained for meat. They complained for bread. They, When the spies come back, and the Kadesh Barnea episode really is the dominant passage here, they, they complain that, Going to their destiny is too difficult, and they will not believe the promise of God, and they end up wandering for 40 years, and a whole generation has to die off. This is a, a profound shift in the, in the style and in the atmosphere of what's coming across here in, in this portion of Hebrews. Uh, Cockrell, I mentioned earlier, Cockrell in the end of Hebrews 5 and in, all through Hebrews 6 gives us a picture, and we're going to start to look at this over this podcast and in podcasts to come, of, of four things that occur. One is shame. The second is warnings. The third, then, is consolation. And the fourth, at the end of chapter 6, is, is assurance. The shame portion of this is found in Hebrews 5.11 through 6.3. The writer he is shaming his listeners for their failure to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Listen to the language that he uses. This is at the end of chapter 5. Look what he says at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that is, you need to be telling other people about who Jesus is and about how Jesus fulfills everything that's promised in, in the law and in the prophets. He said, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And he says, you've come to need milk and not solid food. He says, you're like babies. Grow up. He's trying to shame them into becoming what they really have meant to be. He, uh, he says, if you only drink, uh, only partake of milk, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. He says, you're a babe. He says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by maturity and reason of use have come to their senses to exercise and discern between good and evil. He's, he's really describing the process of discipleship and maturing as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, his, his metaphor and the, the sense of shame that he's using here, it sort of reminds me of a metaphor I've heard, uh, often heard regarding global Christianity. It's a mile wide and it's an inch deep. If you remember at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says that all authority has been given to him, and he commissions us to go out and to make disciples and to teach them. Making a disciple means that you, first of all, you encounter someone who doesn't know who Jesus is, they come to know Christ. There's an evangelistic aspect to this of sharing the faith, of walking with them as they go through the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual process of coming to recognize that the message about Jesus really is the overarching storyline of, um, of, of all people, of all creation, of their own personal life. They come to accept that, and then you don't, we don't stop there. That's where everything really begins. The discipling process evolves from there and, and moves into a fulfillment of what our lives are meant to be. In, in chapter 6, in verses 4 through 8, he shifts away from this shame thing. He, now, keep in mind, he's not shaming new converts. He's not even shaming those who don't know Jesus. The shame that he's using is to people who've, who really should know better. They've been in the church. They've been hearing the message of the gospel. They've been trained in, in who Jesus is, and they should know better. They should be grown-ups by now. And it's important we remember that. He's really talking to me. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely— He's talking to you. He's speaking to us, and he's shaming us to grow up. Act like our age in Christ Jesus. Act like we're supposed to know and, and to be able to live a discerning life between what is good, what is righteous, what is evil. In 6, 4 through 8, he moves from shame to warnings about falling away from the faith. We have, uh, we've been talking just about 12 minutes now, and I'm going to stop. You guys are really good to listen with me and stay with me on these, you know, 10-minute, 10 10-minute-plus 10 kind of podcasts. 
And it doesn't take you long to listen, fortunately. And I'm going to come back to this. So as you prepare yourself for the next podcast, I want to invite you to go and spend some time looking at uh, the end of Hebrews chapter 5, verse beginning of verse 12, going down through uh, verse 8 of chapter 6. Meditate upon that because I'm going to come back and speak to you in the next podcast starting to talk about uh, what it is that the warning that that this preacher is giving to us about how we are to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Look forward to seeing or having you in the audience uh, in our next podcast.